Welcome to Mission Control, where we give you step-by-step instructions on how to take your e-commerce store to levels only a rocket can reach. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in the e-commerce industry that is going to give you simple, actionable advice on how to attract new customers, retain them, and build a brand that you are proud of. This show is brought to you by the makers of Rocket Car, an e-commerce service and solutions company. All right, welcome to the next episode of Mission Control. I am your host, Alex Ivanov, with my co-host and partner, Dave Pancham. Today, we have a really awesome guest. His name is Matteo Grassi, and I hope I said your last name right. (laughs) And we're... Awesome. We're so excited to have you, man. We've been chatting for a couple of weeks and getting to know you a little bit and what you got going on. It's really, really exciting stuff, and I can't wait to get into it. Um, so just tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from, where you're calling from, and you know, tell us about how this is starting to come together and, and your specialty. Yeah, so I'm currently in Ireland, but um, my passport is Italian, I guess. Uh, I've been away for 20 years, so I been speaking English as my first language for a long time. So that's why I say my passport is Italian. A um, few things, I started very early in e-commerce in 2006, uh, before Shopify, before, you know, a, a lot of this platform that we see today. Um, co-founded uh, a e-commerce accelerator, uh, worked for different brands, did a little bit of consultancy. But then the breakthrough went when I met uh, Corey Holmes, which is my business partner. We met in Shopify. Then we left Shopify, co-founded a company called Vicer Group, which is seven different e-commerce brands, which we started at $1,000. We scaled to 60 million in revenue on our first year. We did 7 million on the second year. That was because of the iOS 14. And, uh, you know, which we can talk about it later. Um, and then while we were trying to, uh, you know, just uh, trying to keep up with the ever-changing e-commerce uh, market and try to compete with uh, everyone else, uh, we decided to take another challenge and build an end-to-end e-commerce platform, which is uh, Pop-Up. So Visor Group now is still a company with our direct-to-consumer brands and is an agency that builds brands for influencers, but uh, we've been focusing on Pop-Up for, uh, the last, uh, for the last year. And now we're just trying to uh, grow the company. We recently launched the beta, so we are full steam ahead uh, with, uh, with Pop-Up. Okay, cool. So you've worked in e-commerce for a long time. So you, you did your, your um, you had like a little bit of a marketing and consultancy thing before you mm-hmm. went to Shopify and then you joined Shopify. Yes. Um, how long ago was that and what was your role there? So um, when I started in Shopify, I did three months, literally in support. Like it was actually really, really cool because I started at the bottom. Um, different reasons because I was in Ireland. So Shopify was uh, not in Europe at the time. Uh, that was in 2014. I was one of the first employees here in, in Ireland. I think now there is probably, I don't know, 5,000 between Ireland, UK, Germany and everything. So I'm talking about Shopify was just in Canada and Shopify Plus, I think was like three months old. So I started as a, in support, I did three months in support. And then there was an opportunity to be the first Shopify Plus um, merchant success manager in Europe. Uh, and uh, I took that role. And then I also started to work together with the product team for the internationalization of Shopify. So that was, my role was between like, you know, merchant success and also working with the product team uh, for this internationalization project, which 
I think turned out to be like markets. I think it's, it was started in 2016 and now it's, yeah, it took like seven years, but eventually they did it. Um, mm. Took a bit longer than expected, but they were looking at how to internationalize Shopify for a while. Um, yeah, and that was my role. I think for me, it was an amazing break uh, from consultancy. It was really, really hard at the time. A lot of businesses were closing. I got screwed over a little bit. Uh, some businesses folded down and uh, they couldn't pay me. And uh, I, I was going for divorce. I single dad, foreign country. I was like, I need something. And Shopify literally, I can say it's not saved my life, but it really kind of gave me, you know, an amazing opportunity to just have like a stable job and I could work from home for the first time. Like it was, it was one of the first companies that hired remotely and remote work wasn't a massive thing in 2015. Um, so I was able to spend time with my daughter. I had like a fixed income, so it was, uh, it was great, but I will, I was always an entrepreneur. So it's, uh, after a while, I think support role was great. I was doing my nine to six and logging out and not thinking about everything. But as soon as I enter in plus where you more hands on, you start working with the merchants, then you realize it's like, I need to go back to just to do my own thing <laughs> because because I was stressed all the time, right? Because you treat businesses that you work with like your own. And then you're like, okay, I think uh, as soon as basically my role, be as, as soon as I started having more responsibility, I was like, no, that's, that's, that's not, I, I cannot do that. So I left Shopify yeah. and I started an e-commerce accelerator, which I don't actually have it in my LinkedIn um, because that was kind of an interesting story there. Um, that's where I got introduced to dropshipping and Facebook advertising back in 2016, when I called it the golden era of Facebook ads, when you were launching an ad and you had like five rows, six rows like that. <laughs> no problem. Right? <laughs> CPM in US was like what? $12, $13. Yeah. Good right? luck seeing that again. So yeah. So basically <laughs> I think it was uh, successful because we, we were starting basically selling kitchen products and the kitchen product were between like five and $15, $20 maximum, um, things that you cannot do anymore because the CPM is just so high that you cannot leave, you can't have an average or the value of $20 right now. I think it doesn't matter how much your site converts, just like the math is not there. Uh, so we started with this guy basically, and he had like, um, he had like two or three people in his business. I think, uh, he had like a fulfillment center in China and and I took basically my knowledge in e-commerce and everything that I learned about how to grow a team remotely in Shopify. And I took it in and we did basically 25 million in two years, completely bootstrapped, but different vision. He wanted to keep on making money and selling dropshipping products. I wanted to build brands. To me, dropshipping was a starting point to build brands in the future, right? And uh, I didn't want, so eventually I think I left the business with pretty much nothing. Um, there was no partnership signed. So I left with a lot of knowledge and not a lot of money. So I reached out to this guy that I met in Shopify a few years ago that I really liked, which is Corey. And I said, Hey, what's up? What, what are you doing right now? And I was like, I'm trying to be a travel influencer in Bali. I left Shopify. I'm just trying to figure out my life, man. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Like, so I was like, Hey, I, I have all this knowledge about scaling ads and, you know, marketing and growing businesses. And, uh, 
and I remember you had some brands too, and you're great at actually building stores. And and I was like, hey, let's 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 start with something. And I was like, what do you have? And I was like, oh, I have a headphone store. So we did this headphone store, and it was I think it was like September, so it was like just before Black Friday, and that was literally the first uh, burst of money that we got. I think we did like 150k uh, profit. What year is this? Huh? Uh, that was what in year? 2000 and. That was before the pandemic. When was the pandemic? 20, 2020? 20, so 2019 it was? Yeah, that was Black Friday 2019. And then we, during the pandemic, we found, then during the pandemic, basically we, we rode the wave of the pandemic. So we, I think we came with the right products at the right time. We had like a health supplements and immunity supplements. It was like a combination of things that came yeah. together. So I'm not saying I did 60 million because I have the secret to 60 million. We knew what we were doing and it was the right product at the right time. But also it came with a lot of experience and a lot of contacts that I had before. Because I always say I started with $1,000 and I did 60 million revenue, which is the true story. But I didn't really start it with $1,000. I started $1,000 and 10 years of... <laughs> Experience, right. which I think a lot of people forget to say that, right? And I think give wrong expectation to people starting out. Like I had PayPal accounts that were warmed up. I knew how Stripe works. I had contacts already with fulfillment centers. I had a business manager already warmed up that would allow me to scale. I had an account manager on Facebook. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's like I didn't wow. have any money, but right. You, you came know, in the it, game with an account manager at Facebook at that time. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the thing, right? <laughs> but um, so yeah, so I think I think during that time, then um, then we we started to basically exploring what's next for us, and that's where Pop Up came to be. So before we get into Pop Up, because uh, there's a lot of talk about here, it seems as if there's like this. And I'm I'm a big Twitter guy, so I see this a lot on Twitter. But overall, in the SaaS space, there's a there's a big no code movement where mm -hmm. a lot of tools or you know developers are building tools for people to use without having to code things and you know build really cool things. Why do you think that this is happening now, and why why is it important, and why is it taking off now? Yeah, I think important because personally, what I'm passionate about and this is probably i'm gonna get a little bit into politics or maybe uh social issues as well i believe that economy should be decentralized meaning that the, sh the power should be in the small businesses and not just in the heads of the big businesses i'm not saying that amazon shouldn't exist or walmart shouldn't exist or these big conglomerates shouldn't exist but i think there is a massive risk then you know when when it comes to you know, just like power and money in the hands of like few people like you see it in politics you see it in in the economy so I, I believe that the small business need to have a chance the issue is that small businesses don't have a chance because you know if you want to launch a, a store um you need to have money and i think shopify did that shopify democratized launching an online store but solving problems create problems at the end of the day. So what they, what Shopify did, they were able to bring everyone online. Now that everyone is online, what is the next problem? Building customer journeys, having, doing A-B testing. I think it's like the complexity of running an e-commerce store 
has uh, increased. So I think no code to me is no code equals to democratization of uh, something, right? Uh, giving the power to anyone that has an idea and doesn't have the technical skills or the money to pay developers, for instance, to create something uh, that they want. And going a little bit further on that, it's like the, the only thing that make us difference from animals is imagination, right? Or why, you know, because an animal thinks like, you know, what, how, what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to eat it, where I'm going to eat it, when I'm going to eat it, but they never think about why am I eating this, right? And I think as humans, we are, we are programmed to do that, to say why I want to do this. And our imagination is what makes us human. And imagination is, is the desire to create something. And when you want to create something, if you have a no-code solution, that being like something like uh, Builder.io or Pop-Up or Shopify gives the ability to people to be more humans, I guess. I went very philosophical there, but- No, I like it. No, that's good. I mean, <laughs> I, I was gonna ask, I was gonna ask more so, is it is it really just because of the shortage of developer talent, really? I mean, so many, you know, everything is technology-based and everybody needs developers, but there's just not enough people, so. I mean, but that's then, probably a factor, but you, I like your take as well. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, it comes down to, to that. Obviously, there is like, if you are a business that has the money to do, um, like, for instance, we, we had demo pop up to really large enterprises. I'm talking about Gap. I'm talking about Ralph Lauren, right? So for them, it's not about the money. It's not about developers. They have the money and they've had developers, but they actually have two issues. First is the communication between teams meaning that in these big companies, every team does one thing, but they're all completely disconnected to each other. And then the second thing is that the marketing team is not empowered to make decision without relying on developers. And in these big teams, things are slow. So no code is not just a matter of money, just a matter of, I cannot find developers. It's also a matter of speed, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a marketer. I like a developer, a developer develops, build things. A marketer thinks in a completely different way. If you can empower the marketing team to make the decision without relying on someone else, and maybe to even to test things before you build them, that's where I think no code can come in. So it's time. Yeah, I agree. And it makes sense. So what was the background? Tell us from day one, what was the background story of Pop-Up? How did it come to life? You know, was it just your idea? Was it a collection of you and other friends' ideas and your founders? How did, how did it all start from like the beginning? Yeah, I think it was just like myself and Corey, I was working as a merchant success manager. He was a merchant success manager and then he moved into launch engineer, which is more like a, it's a mix between like engineering and uh, merchant success. But, you know, AKA is basically you're listening to problems every day and you're trying to solve problems that people have. Right. And then we ran our own e-commerce stores and we started to realize that those problems were our problems too. And that's, I think pop-up came from our conversation of like, what, why cannot we do these things? And then the, the first, the first answer was like, why things are so complicated? And the first answer that we got, it was like, oh, maybe because we're Shopify people, right? So we have not tested any other e-commerce platform out there. So maybe it's because that that's that's the problem because we are too embedded in the Shopify ecosystem. So we went out and tried to 
try every e-commerce platform out there to try to do what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do wasn't like anything crazy. It was literally creating pages for dedicated pages for uh, uh, post click acquisition campaigns or running native ads or running upsells after checkout that combine the orders together and doesn't split the order. So my ERP system, you know, doesn't, so I don't have to call basically my, my uh, fulfillment center and say, Hey, make sure you're combining the orders and all of that. Like it was really literally simple stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, Shopify has this app solution. So for, for every problem you have an app. So let's test the click funnels, right? So click funnels gave us, ClickFunnels allow us to kind of thinking differently, you know, in terms of like, you know, stores and the way funnels work. And that's where we started to kind of having the idea of like, what is wrong with, with, uh, with all the e-commerce platform that we tested. And, and we realized that the, what was wrong was this blueprint, this, that this blueprint of the online store does not changed since the nineties and Shopify took a blueprint and made it accessible to everyone. And that was the issue at the time it was fine because that was, they were trying to solve this problem. They were trying to basically, the problem at the time was no one can build a store without paying for a developer. And Shopify was like, no, you don't need to pay a developer. You can build a store on your own. But now the problems are different. Now it's not about how can I create an online store? You literally can create an online store anywhere. I mean, you go on GoDaddy now, they have online stores. Canvas now coming up with online stores. It's like, Creating an online store is not a problem. The problem now is customer journeys. How can I build a customer journey? And we realized that customer journeys were part of the retail world for a long time and forever they've been there. Um, stores have customer journeys. You know, if you go like in H&M or any other a big retailer or Adidas, the merchandising constantly change. You know, certain products are placed next to the till because, you know, they want the customer to come to the deal and then check the upsells, you know, and it's like all of, the, and then you have different floors for different, uh, gender, right? So you have an entry point for men and an entry point for women. And I was like, why can't we just do this with, uh, an online store? And so that's, that's where the idea started to come. And then that's why we created it. Yeah. <laughs> that's how, that's how pop-up started to create. That's fast. And then every, yeah. Was, yeah. was ClickFunnels the only thing that gave you like a lot of inspiration? Was it, were there any other platforms that were helpful? Um, we, we tested every funnel building up like WooFunnels and all of this, I think, uh, but ClickFunnels was, I think the first ClickFunnels has been along for a long time, you know, and I personally don't like the product. I think they're not product people. Russell is marketing guy. That's it. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, they sell courses. Um, the issue with all these funnel apps was they're great for selling one product or selling one course, but then when you shift into e-commerce, they weren't working that well. So our challenge was like, how can we create customer journeys, taking the concept of click funnels, but bringing it to e-commerce. But then our solution, obviously click doesn't have a journey builder visually that that's the idea came from, um, many chat. Okay. So many, we were using many chat for a lot of uh, our, uh, campaigns and a lot of our chat bots and things like that. 
And we realized that the customer journey is a conversation that you have with a customer. It's like, hey, come into my product page. Maybe you want to see this. Oh, you want to go in the checkout? No, I will redirect you there. So using conversation funnels allow us to kind of emulate, you know, what we wanted to do on an online store. If you see our journey builder, when people see it, it was like, oh, no, it looks like many chats. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about pop-up in general, the concept. Um, we we're talking about how we get here. Like, it seems like it solves a lot of different problems, right? Uh, quicker testing, like we said, no code. Um, overall, faster browsing experience. It's called pop-up, and the idea is to everything pop up in the same window. Um, custom journeys, like you said, men, women, if you wanted to, for example. Um, but, like, what's what would you say is, like, the biggest problem it solves? And, and what's the, what's what's the like, if you had to brand it in one term, what what is it? I think it comes down to, like, flexibility, right? And... Um... And the fact that I don't know what the future of commerce is going to be, you know, it's a, people say it's going to be social, people is going to say virtual, but one thing that is going to stay the same is cost is the customer journey. So we're trying to build a company that today we are using pages and bring people into the journey to pages, but owning the customer journey and controlling the customer journey, it's the core of what we're trying to do. And I think the main issue is that merchants today have no control over the journey that the visitor takes to check out they don't people go into the home page and that's it like that you don't know where they're like you cannot control they can go in the bout and then maybe they go back and then maybe go into the product maybe they go into checkout maybe you, you don't you don't really know we probably control this and you route the way you want so the customer the visitor doesn't know and this is happens in retail all the time. You're enter, you entering in H&M. I notice things because I have a marketing and business mind, but people don't probably notice that, oh yeah, they place the item next to the till because obviously, have you ever noticed in store where the people make you go like only loops and it's like, what the hell? The exit is just over there. <laughs> Why just making me go through all these loops? Obviously, because they want to, to yeah. show things before yeah. you go, right? Uh, and it's always those so like things that last second, oh, I needed that. I forgot about that, you know? Exactly right. The customer doesn't know, but uh, the 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 guy that on top that is controlling this and moving the merchandiser right knows. And I think we wanted to give back control to the to the to the merchants on the journey that the customer take. Uh, the journey can be a link in bio, going into a checkout, going to an upsell, and going to another confirmation page. We also realized that before there was literally just maybe Google Ads. That was in mm. blogs, right? That's all organic and mm. blogs. But now there is Google Ads. Then you have TikTok and then you have Instagram, which means that you have also the link in bio. Now you have uh, also people coming in from live streams. So the, the way, the, the, the entry points where the customer comes in is not one anymore. Mm -hmm. There's so many. So you need to have different entry points, different doors. This is where we come up with the idea of the entry points. You can have different entry points into your store and customize the experience. So you're not actually building an online store anymore. You're creating a shopping experience because at the end of the day, what you want to do is you want to convert more. You want to convert more visitors into customers that as simple as that. So yeah, what we're trying to solve is uh, democratizing, I guess, conversion rate optimization, I guess. And you know, what's fascinating is I know a lot of people hearing this so far are going to be like, 
that sounds very complicated. Like I, it sounds like another platform that if I get on it, I'm not going to know how to use it. I'm going to be very like overwhelmed of how to build like a new journey for each you know visitor. Um, but what I would love to do is have you demonstrate in a screen share here, uh, essentially how simple this is because you showed it to us on our last call and it was just fascinating how you built something in a couple minutes. So um, for the audio listeners, we'll uh, we'll cut this out and you can check it out on YouTube. But Mateo is going to, if you don't mind, take us through uh, a quick demonstration of, of building a funnel on pop-up. I, I was kind of curious. So like with your beta test or maybe with yourself, um, you know, I think people like metrics, right? Like what uh, have people like, have we been able to measure like the conversion rate improvement that people have been seeing by using pop-up versus using their Shopify store? Not yet. I mean, we've been in beta for like three weeks, but we have been testing it with our own stores and the spike in conversion rate has been double. The reason being because the ability to actually test and iterate quickly allow us to do that, but also because there is just less steps to check out and the least amount of steps to check out, the easier it is for the customer to, to, uh, to, to go to checkout. Because our front-end architecture doesn't work with, uh, we don't have any product pages or links, so everything works on a model, meaning that uh, the customer doesn't have to click that much, right? He doesn't have to go back to a product and back to maybe reading about the FAQ. Everything is there, so you're just going straight to checkout. Also, our checkout right now is single page, and it's even faster. You just put the details straight away. It's not a multi-step. Uh, we're going to have a multi-step. And another thing that we're going to add, I think, in the next three months is A-B testing. And I think I'm very excited about A-B testing because while we know that there are companies, ourselves included, that you can build customer journey by using an array of apps and having hacky solution, like you can hack ClickFunnels on top of Shopify. A-B testing is something that today you cannot do. You can't A-B test checkout by drag and dropping two pages and connecting an arrow like my mom would be able to basically do A-B testing. My daughter, which is 10, should be able to do A-B testing for sure once. You know, it's like you cannot do that right now, right? So this is like, we're really excited about that. And the other thing is about journey analytics. And this is, we, we get challenged sometimes like, hey, but I'm doing this with Shopify. I was like, yeah, sure, you can do this with Shopify, but your analytics, you, you're using four different apps. Your data is all, all fragmented. So unless you are hooking up your GTM and then you have setting up the funnels in Google Analytics and you try to do that, which is not that easy, uh, then you're never going to know what, what works and what not. So having like a visual way of doing, of looking at your analytics and also a visual way of doing A-B testing, this kind of opens up like a massive market that right now they don't have the resources to do A-B testing, the time to do it, or even like setting up advanced analytics. Uh, to actually do these type of things. And I think today, if you don't do that, it's really hard. It's really hard to convert. Like traffic just costs too much, you know? That's 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 the way I feel. It's like, it's now, I don't know if dropshipping is dead. People ask me, is dropshipping dead? I don't know. To me, Facebook ads like in 2016 are dead. I mean, I, I don't, I, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I haven't met anyone though that were able to tell me you're starting today with a thousand dollars and you can get two rows by just launching some ads. I haven't met some. No, I don't, yet. I don't so, think you're wrong. <laughs> no, I, I, it's just CPM is too high. It's like, it's not the, the track. I mean, you have triple whale that does amazing things. I mean, I know the guys from triple whale, high as well. You know, you have the wicked reports, 
they're trying to solve these tracking issues, but I think right now you need to convert. So, so I think that's, uh, that's where we come in. So from the first, I think you said three weeks of beta testing so far, what have you learned from how the brands are, are using this? Like, are you seeing like an average amount of certain journeys that they might build or, you know, how they might find themselves building a journey that you didn't expect? Well, I'm very surprised because, um, I think there is like a similarity between pop-up and uh, notion, for example, notion is a platform that, uh, I think it's, I can use as an example. I, I sometimes use Lego as well as an example, but I think notion is good because notion, you can build a page like a CV, but you can also uh, build a full on uh, help docs or project management tool that an enterprise, uh, client would use. And if you give the building blocks, if you give like Lego pieces to someone, someone's going to build a wall if that's all they know, but if someone has the imagination, they, they can build anything. So we're getting very surprised of what merchants are using pop-up for. So we have a guy, for instance, that uh, is using pop-up for, it's, it's actually from Italy and um, he's uh, using pop-up for, he has, I think about 50 different entry points. Uh, and then he connects it, we have a Zapier integration, and then he connected a Zapier integration to, um, it's an affiliate. So it does affiliate sales. Mm -hmm. means he bypasses our checkout and he sends the order to the affiliate network. So the issue that he had, he was like, I can actually create journeys visually, uh, you know, easily. He was using WordPress and then he was hacking up Elementor into it, you know, very, very slow. And then we have like a fashion brand that she's a designer completely clueless about Facebook ads, never run Facebook ads in her life. All she does is influencer collaboration. She grew organic her business. So she doesn't really understand much about customer journeys, but she's using the fact that you can create multiple pop-up stores because she's using pop-up store for like the secret store. So she's creating stores, put password protected and then give the password to her VIP customers. And then she creates this type of secret stores. Um, and then she's creating store with capsule collections. And then we have uh, a guy that is doing like, uh, trying to do quiz funnels, or we have a guy that is running post click acquisition campaigns for Google ads. Um, so I think the, the modularity gives a lot of flexibility for what you want to do. We have a creator that it's, it's a really cool business because right now people think about creators, but creators are also merchants sometimes, right? So she has her own uh, uh, business where she sells her own merchandise. And then she has a business where she sells her courses. And then she has a link in bio where she sells, uh, you know, basically everything else. So she's using pop-up, you know, she has the link in bio in pop-up and then she has uh, a basically store just where she sells her courses. Then she has an entry point where she has all her merchandising. So before she had to use Wix and then she had Shopify. And also she had like, I think another link in bio app and now she's basically just using pop-up for everything. So for some, it's literally performance. For others, it's ease of use. Mm -hmm. But I think the flexibility and modularity, I think, is, is our core. And I think Notion, Miro as well, is another company that we look up, you know. Because Miro is um, a good example. It's like when you go to Miro, I actually learn how to do a brand strategy by using the Miroverse. You know, you have the... <laughs> If you look at Mario, it's a blank. It's a, it, it's a blank thing, right? Yeah. You, you don't really understand what you can use it for. And then you go and you see all these cool templates. You're like, oh my God, you can do so much with this thing. Um, and I think this is what we're trying. 
we are doing right now, but this I think is the ethos of our of our company. It's like we give you the building blocks and then you can build whatever you want. Yeah. And it seems like it's taking you to the next level of building blocks and modularity where, you know, WordPress kind of did it with like pages and then like ClickFunnels did it with building the page of like module and drag and drop. Mm. And what you guys are doing is, is the same idea, but for the journey, the testing, the entry points, you know, again, no code, right. All, all of the, the fascinating things. So I think it's, it's pretty cool uh, to see platforms like this evolve where it could become like that foundation foundation building building blocks you know sandbox type of thing you know it's, it's kind of cool yeah it, it was a big bet because every commerce platform does the same thing and every competitor that we, we we check it's literally they're trying to do what shopify is not doing good right now and trying to do better but shopify is a great company. I mean, I know I'm kind of competing with them. I, I have to recognize that they're slow because it's big, but eventually they're going to catch up. So when we decided to build pop-up, we were like, we cannot just go against Shopify and try to do what Shopify is doing badly and try to do better. We have to reinvent something, which is a big batch. It's like, let's give an alternative to merchants from these blueprints that was in the nineties, let's give them something else, you know, let's give them the ability to control this blueprint. Uh, and yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a similar way, I think, I think headless is trying to do that, but everyone is like, everyone raves about headless. What's headless? But headless is headless commerce. So headless is basically when you are using different uh, com different companies like they just maybe just do the front end and then uh, you using the back end for shopify and then something else right so shopify has hydrogen and oxygen which are basically the headless solution um but headless is and big stores use this headless solution because it gives you this amount of flexibility but you need to have developers to maintain it, it costs like a lot of money right so there is a big amount of companies, like it's a large amount of companies trying to compete in the headless space for a tiny, tiny portion of the market, you know? So that's why we never went kind of the headless solution first, you know? Yeah. So let's go down the future to the, to the path of the future here. Cause I, you talked earlier, like, you don't know, the, you don't know the future. None of us do, but we know that flexibility is what prepares you for it. Um, a lot of brands right now you know, we're filming this in October, 2022 are, you know, we're post COVID and post iOS and all, all the, you know, supply chain, everything, uh, the, 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 there's challenges, there's, there's macroeconomic challenges, headwinds, whatever you want to call them. Um, and it's making scaling just very, very difficult. Like wh where do we, where do we go from here in terms of adapting and, and preparing for these, what seems like, like you said, there was a golden age, uh, for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, and you know, online brands is competitive and they're trying to scale. Like, where do we go from here? Yeah, I think, I think there was like, before it was like, find the product, get customers, and then uh, you try to build a community. And that's what I tried to do, right? You find the right product and then you try to sell this to the customers. Then you build in a community so you can build that retention. Right now I feel that things have completely been reversed. So it's like you build a community and then you try to find what my community wants, which means that you're trying to turn your community into customers and then you find the product. 
So <laughs> that's why creators are having such a, that's why the creator economy is, is booming right now is because they have the community and they just don't have the product. And this is why with Viceroy, we decided to, Hey, let's, let's build an agency that build brands for creators because we saw the problem, right? We saw there's people that have a community, but they have no idea. Like you're a sports person, right? You have a massive community. You are training seven hours a day, six hours a day. And the rest of the time you probably are on social media or you have a team to do it. There's a massive opportunity for you to create a supplement, but once you get the supplement, you have to build a store, you know, fulfillment and formulation and all of that. So this is where we Viceroy came in and we were like, why don't we build brands for creators? So I think back to your question, it's like the advice that I give to someone right now. And someone actually asked me this like three days ago. And he was like, I want to start my own e-commerce store. Where do I start? And I was like, I honestly told them, I said, build a community. Build something around you. And she's, she's doing quite good on LinkedIn. And I was like, keep on doing this. You know, it's going to take longer. But once you have a community, then you sell something that is a physical product or a digital product, you're going to monetize. Uh, going in now without, without a community or without any traction, it's really, really hard. Like just like literally cold paid acquisition, unless you have VC money or you have investors behind you, or you have quite a bit of money to burn before you see profitability. I think it's super hard. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's going to be someone else. I, I think there's going to be some, someone else because I think Facebook came in and it was like, oh, it's amazing. But even Google came in and everything was amazing. Right. Maybe I don't know. Netflix is going to be nice. Maybe TikTok is going to figure out a better way to do ads. I think something, some paid acquisition platform is going to allow people to acquire traffic cheap again. <laughs> but right now I don't, I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> I can't find yeah. it. I don't know guys what you think, but I can't find it. I'm, I'm not betting on it. I mean, it just by nature of like scalability in these platforms, there's not, like, we're, we're not going through a population boom worldwide. We're, we're our population is not, it's, it's slowing down in terms of its growth, which means the demand of, ads is going to, you know, just overall eventually overtake the supply and that's going to make, you know, ad costs go up. So. Yeah. But also content as well. It's like, I think we're chatting like little briefly before we, we start the recording this, right. I was telling you like the cold emails don't work the same way. Yeah. And I think ads as well don't work the same way. I think we've been bombarded by advertising and, and people are just getting bit desensitized about, you know, ads in general. So it's like the content game is just like much higher than before. Yeah. But to create amazing content, it's either you have the budget or you have incredible ideas. I mean, in 2015, when people started dropshipping, they were stealing each other content, yeah. right? It was like, oh yeah, you go on the video, you steal the video and then you put it on the site. That was like, it was like the easiest way. But, um, so I don't know. I think, I think the advice that I give to people right now is like try to build a community. I'm not saying you have to build a thousand people community, but I think start an online business today without like no idea what you want to sell or drop shipping or like, let's pour some money into Facebook advertising. I, I don't, I really don't, unless you have a subscription business, but, but even that you need money to actually have a product, you know, and build a product. So what's your, what's your advice for an established brand trying to figure out how to pivot? 
in what way pivot pivot away from uh from direct to consumer yeah or i mean not even direct to consumer but maybe they're you know having the challenge with paid ads right cpms are so high you know they're not obviously ios 14 and they're like how do i continue to make my brand successful well i think i think i think getting the tracking right and i think triple whale or you know those companies are actually trying and and seems that they're succeeding in a way but i think it comes down to the product and i think work on repeat customers like having a product is one off it's it's it's, it's like the friend of mine that sells a, a a digital product and it's literally one off and he was doing amazing during facebook times and now he's not our businesses in viceroy we are down all honestly we would be down 60 to 70 percent but we are taking in enough money we were able to keep the team uh we downsized a little bit but uh, we were able to keep the brands alive because we had repeat purchase so our email list of 150 to 100 people was able to actually keep uh, keep, keep us afloat and then you maybe do Google ads, right? Google ads are not as scalable as Facebook ads, but it brings enough money and then you use email to work on retention. So retention, 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 try to find memberships uh, or subscriptions. I think that's that's the way to do it. Your CAC might be $150, but then once you put someone on a subscription, you know, you you that's, that's excuse the huge cost of advertising. But one off, I, I think it's really, really hard right now. Like if you're just selling one product and people are just going to buy that and they're not going to need anything from you ever again. Then you have obviously brands that don't have one-off products, but then they have huge catalogs, right? Like Fashion Nova or ASOS. But then you have other issues there. You have, you're managing thousands and thousands of SKUs. So if you're starting out, you can't start with thousands of SKUs. You have to start with two, three products max. So my advice is like, try to start with two or three products, but try to make sure that you're working on LTV and not just, I sell product for $200 and then you're not gonna need this product ever again. And you can be smart about it, right? You can be like, it's a health uh, device, but then you are upselling something that can be the pads, it can be something that is reusable or maybe it's an app connected to the health device that you have a three dollar subscription on it i think there is smart ways of doing this you know it's but if you can just do that i think that that's my advice yeah a health health one is a good example a lot of health brands with like wearable tech they sell the hardware and then everyone's yeah. pivoting to a software model on the back end um some of them are pretty overpriced if you ask me but i think the idea works if you can price it well uh, and, you know, just provide good value. Yeah. Membership as well is a big thing. Dylan, Dylan Whitman uh, is a, I, I can't say he's a friend, but you know, we, it's like a LinkedIn friend, you know, those like those people that they comment on each other and he just launched the Inviterate, in which is an app on Shopify. Um, he's really, really successful guy. He has been on the Shopify ecosystem for a long time and it's an app. His bet is on memberships. Not even repeated customers. It's not often repeated products. Literally mm-hmm. memberships, selling memberships, and I think it's it's a great it's a great way of doing it. Maybe you sell a nine dollar membership, and then if you are a member, you get uh, you know twenty percent off of all your products. So 
right? You're not really working on products that are repeaters, but you're working on membership and doing an added value. And, and also you're working on the fact that psychologically people want to be part of something. They want to be part of a community because yeah. no one wants to be alone. And we learned this. During <laughs> <the pandemic>. so, <laughs> right. so, so I think finding a way to monetize, monetize your, uh, you know, putting people in a subscription and get that repeated customer, uh, repeated uh, purchase. I think that's, uh, that's the best advice I can give to brands. Do you see pop-up facilitating any help in the future? Obviously you guys are just working on your core product right now, but would it be, is it going to be too far away from the vision for pop-up to one day help with, you know, the driving traffic to the site, the, you know, um, implementing different types of um, selling mechanisms like memberships or subscriptions to a brand. I mean, like Shopify is going through it right now because like their stores on there are awesome, but like, those brands can't drive traffic as much as well as they used to. And, you know, people are failing and that's why Shopify is kind of like in the media all the time. Like, Oh, you know, it's struggling. <laughs> Do you see pop-up going that route? Yeah, I think, I think we're going the route of uh, platform slash ecosystem, right? Which I think is, it's um, simulating what Shopify did. That's why Shopify, Shopify and Squarespace Wix and full commerce and all of them, they're not Shopify. It's because they were able to create an amazing ecosystem around apps and developers and agencies and etc. So I think us being an end-to-end e-commerce platform is a big challenge, but at the same time is also a big opportunity. So in terms of like membership, subscriptions and all of this, if nothing relates to the customer journey, we're not going to build natively. I think everything that relates to the customer journey is going to be internal. But if someone wants subscription, if someone wants, uh, uh, you know, memberships or, you know, like, you know, invigorate that app, once our public API goes, goes out and we have enough merchants for apps to actually take time to develop on us, that's where the route that we're going to. Also, it's developed very similarly to Shopify on the back end as well. Uh, allowing using like the same code structure, allowing if you have an app on Shopify, moving to pop up is going to be fairly easy. But the thing is, like Shopify dominates. It's like literally they never had a competitor. There's no competition to me. I still recommend now people to say, "Hey, go to Shopify." And also, we build pop up always thinking about maybe we can be used in conjunction with Shopify. We literally build an action that sends an order to Shopify. I think commerce is becoming so complex that thinking that like Shopify is going to be your solution to all your problems is kind of, I, I don't think, I, I don't mm-hmm. think it's true. That's why we are like, maybe we can be an alternate, an alternative solution or maybe work together, you know, just like in real life, right? Adidas has their main store, but then they have the small pop-up store for whatever they're trying to do. It's like, it's not really different from what we see every day. And I think that's, why we call the platform pop-up as well. Not because of like the temporary thing or it's because we found that pop-up store are this kind of dynamic, ever-changing, moving uh, ways of uh, approaching commerce. Yeah. Do you, so you mentioned earlier in the show that one of the challenges of using a lot of different apps in connection with each other is you lose data, you can't you know control everything going back and forth. It's not very seamlessly integrated. Do you plan, let's say, if pop-ups allowing Shopify apps or other developers to add on to pop-up to like enforce that that the ecosystem remains intact and that the data doesn't you know get get lost? 
Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think I think it's like we're still figuring out, I guess, the, the whole uh, ecosystem is still very early days. But I think uh, we are definitely considering, uh, we're definitely considering this uh, in, uh, in our roadmap. Cool. Awesome. Um, I guess the, the only question I have left regarding pop-up is what would you say as you're launching this beta is your biggest challenge? Um, I think the biggest challenge is that, um, and I think I had this when I was working in Shopify as well as a merchant success manager and Corey had the same thing when he was working in launch engineer and, um, as a launch engineer, you're basically working on migrations. So on one way we do see us going after merchants that understand what they be testing is understanding what customer journey is first, right? It doesn't mean that if you want to start an online store, you want to start on pop-up, you can do that. I mean, our plan literally starts at $9. So it is a very affordable solution. But in our go-to-market strategy, we can't just go, hey, everyone wants to sell online. Let's just try to get everyone, right? So we have to pick. And I think if you are processing, if you are sending traffic to your store and buying traffic, you get you understand customer journeys from day one, right? It's like, I don't need to explain you the product that much. But the biggest challenge on this is uh, that merchants like that, obviously right now they're on Black Friday and they do have back solutions, meaning that they do love pop-up, you know, value proposition and they do like the fact that they can create these customer journeys, but it's still in a way a migration. So it's um, activate them and get them to use the platform um, and moving away from their Aki solution I think that's uh, that's the challenge, which is basically a challenge of every e-commerce platform. Literally, I had people in Magento and Big Commerce, and I hope no one is, you know, is invested in Big Commerce. Well, I I tested Big Commerce, and I'm like, I don't know why people use Big Commerce. But I had people like Magento, Big Commerce people. They were like, I'm not moving to Shopify Plus even though I know it's better for me because I can't even think about the migration, maybe let's talk next year, right? So I think it's like, it's not that your solution is not good or they don't love it. It's just like, it just takes time, you know? They, they need to have that uh, space right now to do it. So we launched the beta October. That's kind of the busiest time for e-commerce right now. So a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'll chat, I chat yeah. in January. And and I always say, I've, I've been a SaaS founder for two years. I've been a merchant for 15. I probably will say the same. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the same thing. I'm like, look, just let me go with my crappy solution. It works, right? It's kind of clunky. It's like it's like a car, right? It, you know, like when you have the car that it's not great, but you kind of get the hang of it and you know how to tweak it. And you're like, oh, I have to change the car and I have to figure everything out again. You know it's better, but you're like, I need time to just get there. And I think, I think that's the, that's the challenge. But on the other end, um, 80% of the merchants are bringing in, they're really keen to actually use the platform and they're already using it. So, so I'm not saying that's a big problem, but I've noticed this and it's understandable. And I think January, February, which is kind of this lower months for e-commerce is going to be a period where some of the merchants will have more time to, um, use the platform because our beta is not coming into pop-up and test the platform. We don't really 
want that because it's not really something that will benefit each each of us. Uh, it's more what you're trying to do. So setting up a goal together, and that can be like, I want to increase my conversion rate because I'm running Facebook ads and I want to create post-click acquisition uh, journeys for my Facebook ads, or I want to launch in a different country, right? So we set up a goal together and then pop-up will serve that goal. And then we see if we have achieved this goal together or not. So this is why I think our beta is really goal-based and it's time-based as well. Like, it's not just like, hey, come in, test the platform, play around it for like two days and then drop drop out, right? So, so this, I think, is, is a challenge, but it's also because we have expectations and we are uh, trying to get as much data as we can. This is the whole point of a beta, not really uh, acquisition or making right. money right now. I hope my investors are listening, but if they're listening. Don't worry, guys. We're going to be profitable. We're going to make money. Go ahead, Dave. Can you expand about, um, you know, launching a different country? Yeah, so uh, this is actually very cool because I I worked in internationalization for such a long time, and I I, I can talk about how to expand in a different country for hours. But I'll I'll give you, like, uh, the small, um, the, the, the short version. Um, when I was, uh, when we did both Viceroy and my previous uh, e-commerce accelerator, we, 80% of our revenue, believe it or not, didn't come from US. It actually was actually in uh, Germany, Brazil, uh, Italy, France, UK as well, but literally in countries where we didn't speak the language. So expanding in different countries and internationalize has always been a big, big strategy for us. Now, Shopify is going the route of um, one store, translation, and you go on the checkout, and the checkout then, uh, uh, it's a multi-currency checkout, which means that you're converting the currency, right, based on where the person is coming from. The issue on that is that, I don't know if they tell you or not, but, but the issue with this is like, they do charge you 1.5%, right? So if you run the math, if you're making, let's say you're converting $10,000 a month, that's not much, right? $10,000 a month. That's, that's already $150 that you're paying in transaction fees. If you create another Shopify store and you change the currency, you're not going to pay $150. You'll pay $29. So that's what happened to us. It's like you have all these stores in different countries, in different languages, because you want to have the checkout in different currency. And this is like issue number one. Then you have issue number two. Australia, US, Australia is summer, US is winter. Then you have issue number three, which is some Valentine's Day is in Brazil, <laughs> is in June. Sure, <laughs> <Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> you know, then you have issue number four, payment gateways. In Brazil, if you try to use Stripe, you'll get a drop of 70%. You have to use eBanks because people pay with Boleto. If you go in Denmark, you have to use Molly, which is another payment solution. In uh, Germany, 80% of people pay with PayPal, 20% use Stripe. And then they have SoFort, which is this other payment solution. So this all one store, different countries, to me, doesn't work. So it's always like, if you really want to localize and really be successful in a country, the German customer needs to come in the German store and thinking, oh, this is a German store. It's not like some people living in Italy, some Italian living in Ireland, launching a store in Germany. <laughs> It's like this is actually a German guy, right? 
because the store, as you know, the, the banners are in a certain way, they're following our calendar, everything is localized, you know. So I think localization, if you want really to convert, needs to be end-to-end. So this is why where we built Papa was like, let's have multiple stores in different countries. And this is the way to approach localization, not like one store with translation files. I mean, Shopify does it super badly as well. I mean, you have like this translation file you have to use. I think there was an app called, what was it called? Anyways, there was an app, but then it was messing up your liquid code. So when you are basically uh-huh. breaking up everything as well, but like, even though you, on a code level, you can actually make it work that is seamless and works. It just, to me, it just doesn't work on, it just, you need, you need to leverage the, the, the calendar. You need to leverage the promotion, the, the, the way shop online. Like Germany, for instance, this is a perfect example. Germany, US, US love the single page checkout, right? Germany hates it. The Germans want to have the multi-step where they understand everything because the trust level is very lower than is much lower than the, the Americans. So, so yeah, that's my my two cents on localizing. Yeah, no, it's super important. I mean, it makes it makes so much sense. I was very successful. I mean, we do we did two point five billion in with uh, native ads in Germany. Yeah, and I'm not German, so I and I did uh, six million. We we're the highest ranking store in Brazil, drop shipping from China for wow. six months and we were, we we're a bunch of Italians doing this. So I'm not just saying, oh yeah, because it's my opinions, because I tested it out and it just works. <laughs> I just got, cause when we launched in Brazil, I remember, I still remember this day. I was like, I launched in Brazil, we launched with Stripe and I was like, oh my God, it's like something is wrong with the checkout because we had like a, a 12.5% on the card and a 0.5 on, uh, on checkout. And I was like, What's wrong? And then I went to Stripe and basically 70% of the transactions were, were declined. And that's where basically someone was like, you cannot use that because Stripe use uh, foreign acquirers. You need to use a local payment gateway. So we went with eBanks, which is a local payment gateway. Um, so they, if you're paying with a card, you're paying with Brazilian cards using Brazilian banks. So the accents are raised higher, but also Brazilians pay with Boleto. So Boleto is basically you're paying now and then they go into the post office mm-hmm. and pay with cash. So you're cashing in the money now, but then they come in 10 days later, right? And 40% of people pay with that. So if you don't have that option, 40% mm-hmm. of customers just leave. So this is where, you know, my mistakes and stuff allow me to understand how kind of- so How did you know that you were the top ranked store in Brazil at the time? Like, were you just looking at like- Because it told us. Was Shopify <laughs> telling you? Us. No, E-Banks. Oh, okay. E-Banks was, uh, yeah, yeah, because E-Banks is the biggest payment yeah. gateway in LATAM. So they have all the big e-commerce stores. They have also Uber, they have Spotify and stuff yeah. like that. We, we even got invited in Brazil. We were like, oh, come to Brazil for our conference. And it was like, <laughs> okay, go to Brazil. It's kind of crazy. It was just like, as Uber, Shopify. And it was like, well, this guy has this store. And I felt so embarrassed because, because it was like, we were drop shipping from China, you know, and we had, like complaint rates was sure. like crazy high, but sure. That's <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. <laughs> My Brazilian story was, yeah. Brazilian story was, was, in, was an interesting story. Do you, um, do you think Popfin yeah. has like an opportunity to kind of like really help accelerate like global commerce? 
I think so. I think I think our multi-store approach is new. I mean, I haven't seen other platform doing the multi-store approach. Uh, Shopify now just uh, change, like just closed the partnership with Globally, which is a company that I know very well. They used I used them before, but again, you have eight percent conversion fees, right? It's a lot of money. I think it's like it's, it's it comes down to money. It's like if you're charging to convert money. You know, people are going to say how much, how much, how cheaper it is just having a different stores in a different country. We, we're thinking about proper payments as well, because I think payments is the biggest hurdle that a lot of people have. Uh, we know that Shopify makes 900 million a year in uh, payments and 300 million on subscriptions. So we know that Shopify makes money on, on, on Shopify payments and Shopify payments it's Stripe Connect, meaning that they they don't have their own payment solution. They're taking a small cut from Stripe. So we can do Stripe Connect tomorrow if we want. Uh, the reason why we're not doing it is because the infrastructure that you have to put through uh, needs to be, it's, cut, it, it's expensive and complex. So unless we process a certain amount of GMV, it doesn't make any sense for us to do it right now. But we're sure. looking at down the line. But one thing that we want to do is the same thing that uh, Shopify did with Stripe, and we are going to do with Stripe probably, we can do it with eBanks in Brazil, or we can do with uh, African payment solutions, right? So if you're coming from pop-up anywhere in the world, you are subscribing to pop-up payments, but then if you're from Africa, then we do a partnership with um, with mobile money, or if it's in Brazil with eBanks, etc. So we're going to take a cut on everything, but then you're working with local payment acquirers. This is kind of very much in the future, future. but I think our biggest challenge is checkout, but it's also our biggest opportunity. So we need to leverage this as much as we can. I knew Shopify made a lot of money in payments. I didn't realize it was three-fourths of their revenue. Oh, yeah, yeah, 900 million. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> I know the data, yeah. But it took them like, um, Shopify payments came out in 2014, 13. It, it took them like quite a bit of time, like 10 years to do it. Because I know I, we, we spoke to like some payment provider and things like that. It, it costs quite a bit of money. So you need to be processing a certain amount of GMV to be able to have like a 0.51% yeah. cut on your transaction. Otherwise, it's just you're just basically yeah. losing money. And, you know, you're talking about like, yeah. for one example, 8% conversion. I mean, some brands, their margins are not naturally very high. 8% is a huge chunk of profit. <laughs> But right now, Shopify is 1.5 on the multi-currency checkout. But even 1.5, it's it's that that's the math that we ran when we were running that to consumer. We were processing like probably fifty thousand dollars. Let's say, you know, some of our brands were doing like a million a month, right? But let's say you're doing less, you're doing 50k, 60k, and half of that is uh, converted into let's say GBP. You know, you have thirty thousand dollars converting to GBP. 1.5% is already $400, $500. If you copy your store double and you set the currency GBP, so that basically the store currency is GBP and the checkout is GBP, then you're not paying any transaction. You don't pay any conversion fees, right? So it's going to be cheaper, but then it's complexity. That's what we had. Then you're doubling the apps, you're doubling the store. So one of our stores was, we had like nine different stores. We had one for Italy, one for Germany, one for France, one for Europe, one for US, one for Australia, one, you know, was, was, was crazy. And one time you have 
like the the, the complexity goes yeah. off the window. But also another case for us was uh, working with um, the creator economy. This is another thing that I can talk about it for hours, but I'm going to give you like a small, like a small, uh, a small take. There is a lot of these linking bio apps that you see, right? The, the issue with creator is like, if a creator makes any money, it's managed by an agency. If a creator makes no money, then if you have a linking bio app that works on transaction fees, then you're not going to make any money. If you are managed by an agency, an agency is not going to use your linking bio app with the crappy e-commerce functionality. They need to have integration. They need to have order management, CMS, and all of this. This is why companies like Live Nation, which is their own Shopify, they have 150 Shopify stores for 150 artists. The issue there is that you have 150 Shopify store. Imagine you want to change the yeah. order. <laughs> yeah, log in and log out in 150 stores, right? So this is where the idea came is like, like if you're a brand and agency on pop-up, you can have 100 stores and then you want one change is deployed in all the stores, right? So that's... Multi-store made a lot of sense. Now, I personally think that maybe in three or four years' time, Shopify is going to come up with something like this. So I don't think our big USP is the multi-store. I think it's more like the customer journey. But still, when we built it, it was like, sure. let's give multi-store. So you're not, your investor, you're not, you shouldn't be so worried about your investors watching. You should be so worried about <laughs> Shopify watching. <laughs> oh, look, I, I love, I love Shopify. If I, I, I think if I piss them off, that's, um, Someone asked me, it's like, what, what's, um, what's, 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 what would be the big achievements if I, if I, if I, if I start to piece Shopify off? Then yeah, I mean, for sure. It's a good thing. Uh, no, because they, they're very passionate. I call them passionate, but they're very uh, protective about their checkouts, right? And you see how they've been slowly closing any checkout, third-party checkout apps. Don't know if you guys were familiar with Checkout X. Have you mm -hmm. heard of Checkout mm -hmm. X? No, it's basically, yeah, but do you remember like a few years ago, there was like a few companies that um, apps that were basically bypassing Shopify checkout. So you were basically starting in Shopify and then you were redirected to another checkout that maybe you could customize or maybe you were doing upsell and checkout tax was one of them. I don't know if they're still alive. I, 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 don't, I don't actually know. I have to check. But Shopify then in January 2021, they closed the API on the third-party checkout, meaning that if you have a third-party checkout, you, you cannot you cannot check out on Shopify anymore yeah. because they make money on checkout. So we are going to piss them off because we're yeah. going to steal their checkout. But that's, I mean, that's, did that's those the other thing. apps as well send orders uh, okay. back to Shopify like you are? Yeah, it's up to Agondo. They're not, they're doing, because they closed the API. So the way we built it, I think Shopify is always <laughs> going to hear this, but the way we built it is like, we, we don't have an app on Shopify. We send an order via, uh, like it's, mm. it's calling an action. So it's a kind of a private app, meaning that we can do an order sync with Shopify okay. without having installed the Shopify app. Meaning that Shopify cannot close their public API because that's public, right? So we built it in a way because we knew that we're never going to be able to have a right. Shopify app. It makes sense. Yeah. Is there still any risk there? Yeah. On, On what Shopify side? somehow trying to figure out how to stop that from happening. No, because uh, the thing is like, they will have to close the, yeah, they will have, no, it's a, it's mm -hmm. a public API. So, I mean, 
unless they don't allow merchants to create private apps anymore, which mm -hmm. it's impossible. It's like, it's literally like you're killing, you're killing merchants because, you know, merchants need to have yeah. private apps. I mean, it's like you have, yeah. So unless they do that, which, which is impossible, they're never going to be able to do it. I think before they consider this, they're probably going to try to buy <laughs> yeah. us or maybe create, uh, they're going to buy popup.com, which is, we couldn't buy because the guy asked us for like, I think seven. Really? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for popup.com, yeah. So we, we bought popup.store, which was yeah. a bit more affordable. Uh, yeah, but but uh, on, on the Shopify side, I think I think they are evolving. I think they are moving. They, they, they're thinking right. I, I see the, the way of thinking. Online store now is becoming a, a channel, right? So they are starting to think yeah. about this modularity, right? They saw the opportunity yeah. with link in bio, so they create a link pop in our online store. So. When someone asks me, it's like, how Shopify would compete with you? I would say they will not change their current platform because they can't. They will just create Shopify journeys or whatever it is, right? Which is another product that people can use on the site. But for them to create something like this, they have to do the same thing that they did with uh, Linktree. Meaning that they have to see that there is a, a substantial market share that has been eaten up yeah. by Linktree or any other linking bio apps, right? I mean, I know Alex, Alex is one of our investors in, he's an angel and, you know, it's not really nice what happened to him. I, I, maybe it's just my personal opinion, but I, I thought it wasn't, I, I thought it wasn't great on the, you know, they, they closed the partnership with Shopify and then a week yeah. later they came up with LinkPop, which is basically a copy of, of LinkTrain. I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to meet him at Web Summit in Lisbon. We can have a chat about it. But, um, but overall, I think, I think it's, um, they, they are trying to dominate commerce, which, uh, which, which, which makes a lot of sense to me, but I don't know what the future of Shopify is because I know that the money is in the checkout, right? So for them, online stores and this type of stuff is, they know they're not making money there, right? They're making money on the infrastructure. So if, if I was Shopify, I would just bet on that yeah. infrastructure. Fulfillment, checkout, payments, loans, all of that. Yeah. that that's what I would do. Which, <laughs> but I'm not obvious. I mean, you know, he's a bright guy. We were talking about that. I think the first time you we were talking with you, how Shopify is going very horizontal and not very vertical. I mean, they have so many... Like you just said, like fulfillment, international shipping, currency exchange, loans, all these things. Um, and now they're cutting jobs. So it's like, you know, how are you going to improve the infrastructure if you're going so wide and cutting jobs? Yeah, but I think it's also when you are such a big company, it's also adoption, right? You, you come up with an idea that you think is good. Like they come up with Shopify Market and ShopPay and they always come up with new things, new things. But from the moment that you start an idea and you do mass adoptions within your, within your network, which is now 2 million merchants, it takes a lot of time. And if you are pumping out ideas every three months or four months, merchants cannot keep up. I literally speak to Shopify merchants every day because we're literally targeting mainly Shopify merchants because Shopify, you know, pop-up can be used in conjunction with Shopify right now, only with Shopify. Standalone, if yeah. you want, but in conjunction. So obviously, if you're a Shopify merchant, 
you know, it, it seems it's a better fit. And most of them, they've not yet used a lot of features that have been deployed six or seven months ago. And ask them why. It's like, I don't know, I've never heard of it. I, I heard of it, but then there was not much going on. And it's like from, from your ideas to adoption, it takes, um, it takes a lot of time, especially because you started with this 90s blueprint and now you're just trying to add things more. So I think what we're trying to do, we want to start already with a platform for the future, right? And then adding slowly, you know? But we're building a platform today. I mean, Shopify built a platform, you know, mm -hmm. 14 years ago, 16 years ago. So that that's what Toby and the guys were like, what we're trying to solve. If they were building it today, they probably built something like with it or slightly different, right. but kind sure. of similar. Yeah, I agree. So Mateo, as we begin to wrap up here, one of the things we always like to do uh, and ask all of our guests is we have our, our signature question. If you could sit in a room with, uh, you know, a bunch of mentors important to you once every morning uh, to help guide you throughout your day, they could be alive or dead, who would they be? So, yeah, um, I, I should be thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, so there would be, you know, Justin Welsh. I don't, you probably don't know him. He's a creator of LinkedIn. Uh, but he's just one of the most amazing teachers and creators that I have encountered in my life. And he helped me so much with my writing, with my content creation. And I love how he's able to create these such simple frameworks, you know, and uh, this content that gives you so much value. And it's so simple, so easy to read. And, and literally, like, I just read it and I'm like, oh, this is cool and I want to learn more. Right? <laughs> and this never happens to me. Cool. So I love him. Um, and then Warren Buffett, not because I like him that much, but because I think all people, <laughs> no, I don't want to sound ages, but I think people that, I think people that are at a certain age they have a lot to tell you, right? And, you know, I, I know he talks really bad about crypto. We, we are, I have very different opinions with him in certain things, but I love to sit down with someone like him, you know? And the third one would be Napoleon because, I mean, he's dead, but I think it's been one of the most um, interesting characters in history, especially as a conqueror. And now he was able to uh, rally up, you know, all the countries and uh, become an emperor and uh, yeah. I think I think that's, that's kind of weird, like Justin <laughs> Welsh, Warren Buffett, and Napoleon. Yeah, I haven't heard of Justin Welsh, but I'm just looking at him now. I'm definitely oh, okay. gonna check him out. I mean, there it's a very unique. Oh yeah, he's a, yeah, really really cool. He's really really cool. Yeah, and he's he's he actually creates frameworks to write online and to write posts and to write content. And I've been using his framework, and I grew my LinkedIn from the. No, I started at one thousand followers. I have now almost twenty thousand. And I have to say, a really? lot has to do with Justin as well. Yeah, because I took, yeah, I took his course. I, I, I did this course. And I mean, it, it, it is my life. It is my story, of course. I, I talk about myself, but it really helped me a lot on like how to write and how to how to actually craft my things. And, and I did yeah, see yeah. results. I'm not just saying I like it. I did grow because from 1,000 to 20,000 in one year. Yeah, because of this. That's awesome. Because of him wow. as well. I have to check so, him out. 
Well, thanks, Justin. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, you know, just hearing from you and, and hearing about the innovative kind of sense you have o- over commerce and now e-commerce, like going from old school retail into e-commerce and relating those things and just how overall your your creative abilities in, in building pop-up is really awesome. Super inspirational. I can't wait to use it one day on one of my brands. Um, and and hear from Mateo, what's the next big milestone for pop-up? I think I think uh, the, the big milestone would be like a hundred merchants. Simple as that. Hundred merchants using the platform. I'm not saying hundred merchants in the platform because we already have 40, but I would say a hundred merchants, a hundred case studies, right? A hundred merchants using the platform and saying, this is, this is cool. And for us, it's, it's not just them saying this is cool. It's, it's, it's taking them away from other platforms, including Shopify. Either taking them away completely, which might take some time, but maybe taking some of the revenue away. Meaning that I had my Shopify store, but I'm running all my Facebook ads or my Google ads or my influencer collaboration on pop-up, right? So my 30, 40, 50, 60% of the revenue runs on pop-up. That would be our biggest milestone. Finding our initial product market fit. I mean, it takes years to find product market fit, but that the first under merchants, that would be the big milestone. People using the product, I mean, we've been building it for so long. It's a really complex product because we could have gone the route of the app and we thought about it a few times. You know, it was like, hey, maybe we just built an app where you can build customer journey. And then um, basically just before you check out, you check out on Shopify. That's, that was, that's it. But then that was basically you know, invalidating our whole unique selling proposition, which is building customer journey end to end. Because to me, like, what is the difference between a store and a showroom is the till, right? So if you don't the checkout, you're not an e-commerce, you are a showroom. So if Shopify is on the checkout, then I'm not an e-commerce platform. I'm a front end journey builder architecture. Now, we could have validated the idea of the customer journey quicker, meaning that we probably could have launched pop-up a year ago. We went more like the risky, dangerous, you know, risky route of building an e-commerce platform end to end. But, but that's it. I, th- I remember talking to Cody about this, like on, on a call, like I remember thinking I was on a call with him and I was like, <laughs> this is going to be too big. Maybe we just, yeah, yeah, and, and and the call finished, and we were like, okay, let's not do it, let's do something else. And I think we were thinking about maybe, actually, thinking about the content platform where you can actually create content. Uh, you subscribe, and every thirty days, you you have thirty pieces of content. So we have like different ideas and stuff like that. And then I remember, like, we were brainstorming all these other alternatives because we gave up on the idea of building this e-commerce platform. And then he called me, and then. And then with this moment of silence and we said, but do you really, are you really passionate about any of this <laughs> stuff? And I was like, no, man, I don't, I'm not, I don't really care. It's like, let's, let's go for it. Let's, let's, let's just do it and see how it goes. And then that, that's it. Because we, 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 
we knew it was going to be so big, but then we were like, what well, we have to lose yeah. and just try it out. If we have to go, yeah. let's, let's, let's go big. Let's, let's try. And then that's what we did. And that was before even considering investment. That was like, let's just take our money, hiring a bunch of developers, which was like crazy. But that's, that allows us though to actually be ready for what's, what's happening right now within, in the VC world, which is when we raised money, the market was way overinflated, but we always kept this bootstrap mentality of like, let's grow the team, but let's grow it lean. Let's not overspend. Let's not get a developer X Apple X Shopify developer that costs 250 K a year. Let's get, you know, the people that we can afford as if it was our own money. So we kept that mentality all the time, even though the market was like, yeah, hire this, hire this. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah spend, 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 spend. And now, now they're like, oh yeah, you were right. Maybe yeah, that was the best approach. What you did. So we always kept this cup of, cup of, you know, type of mentality, you know, I think it's going to, yeah, I mean, now hundred brands, I think it will come quick and then hopefully we can have you on again for a thousand brands celebration. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Before I quit, I live. It's like, if people are raising money, FYI, it's not your money. I know they come into your bank account and you know, you get some equity away, which you don't see. So it feels like, oh my God, people are giving you money for something that doesn't exist, right? But it's investors' money, right? So it's literally your money too, you know? So you have to treat them wisely. You can't just overspend because, you know, some venture capital decided to give you three or four million. I mean, it's it's, it's your money. So, (laughs) you know, you give equity away. So make sure, I know founders that literally exited with like no money because they just like burn equity like like that because they were like oh i just want money in doesn't matter i just give you 30 percent, 40 percent doesn't matter because you don't see this equity yeah. thing is like just like a number on it on a cup table that in the spreadsheet right but so this is my advice to anyone raising money right now yeah very helpful yeah. cool man uh before we hop off where can everyone find you and uh, obviously we talked about pop-up go to popup.store to check it out get on the wait list <laughs> um and then uh and then how do we how do they yeah. find you <laughs> I'm on uh, Linktree slash, and uh, I actually use Mateo was Mateo, which is my name, was taken because when I tried to find Mateo, he was taken. So I decided to use my handle. Mateo was taken everywhere, <laughs> like Twitter, LinkedIn, Linktree, and all that. It's always the same. Mateo was taken. That's funny. <laughs> It was taken. Yeah. Someone Just so you know, it. it's the right one in his bio. It says, my mom says I was special. It just says I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. She, does, <laughs> she still says that. So Good woman. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you again so much, Mateo. And for everyone listening, check them out. Check out Pop-Up. And uh, if you're looking for more episodes of Mission Control, check it out at gorocketcart.com. Check out what we do. And uh, yeah, follow us on social media and, and uh, come back for next time. Thanks again so much, Mateo. Thanks, Mateo. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.